Hey friends, before we start the show, I want to invite you to check out my brand new free training all about how you can start your own freelance business from home. In this completely free one hour training, I am going to share with you exactly how I was able to leave my full-time teaching job and replace my income by freelancing and how you can do the same thing too. We're going to talk about how you can find skills that you already have and what services you can offer, as well as what you need to actually get started today. So you can go check out my brand new free training. It's my gift to you at aubreymalik.com forward slash free training. That's aubreymalik.com forward slash free training. And we will link that up in the show notes for you. All right, now let's go ahead and dive on into the show. Hey, hey, welcome back to the podcast. I am so excited for you to meet today's guest on the podcast. You are absolutely going to love this conversation. We are going to be talking with Angie Trueblood, who I have known pretty much since I got started in the online space. I've been following her. I love everything that she has to say about getting visible and pitching yourself. And that's actually where I first heard her was on a podcast. And then I loved what she had to say. And we're going to get into all that conversation about why podcasting, pitching yourself to be on a podcast, to position yourself as that expert, to get more clients. But also if you want to add this as a service to your clients, if you want to help your clients get more visible, if you want to show them how they can do that through podcasting, we're going to break all that down for you. And Angie is the go-to visibility expert when it comes to guesting on podcasts and using podcasts as a way to market and grow your business. So I cannot wait for you to meet Angie. I am just going to get right on into the conversation because this is an amazing, amazing episode. Even at the very end, Angie shares a really great way to use podcasting as a way to get people back to you and your services and a really great way that she is going to start recommending that her clients do this for their service-based business. You are not going to want to miss that. Let's go ahead and dive on into the show and meet Angie Trueblood. Welcome to the Freelancer to CEO podcast. This is the podcast for overwhelmed freelancers who are ready to simplify and scale their business so they can earn more and stress less. I'm your host, Aubrey Malik, and I'm a former elementary teacher who launched my own freelancing business, and now I want to share all my secrets with you. Each week, I'll be sharing business strategy, systems, and tactical tips that you can take into your business today so you can finally step into that CEO role you desire. Let's dive on into the show. Hey, Angie, welcome to the podcast. I am so excited to have you on today. Thank you, Aubrey. I'm so happy to connect with you. Yeah, I am super excited for my audience to hear everything that you have to share. It's This is going to be a pen and paper type episode <laughs> where you're going to, going to learn just so much. I have been following Angie for quite some time, and I'm so excited that we get to chat today about all, about all things podcast pitching. But before we get into all of the stuff that you are an expert in, I would love to just back up a little bit and share a little bit about your story, how you got started in the online space and how it's kind of evolved to where it is now. Yeah. Well, I'm so happy to connect. I feel like we've been connected for years and it's been great too, to kind of follow your trajectory in the online space. Interestingly enough, I think my path is probably similar to a lot of your listeners. Um, When my kiddos were young, they were two and four. I had an outside sales job and I just knew that I wanted to have more flexibility and to be able to be home with them. So I actually transitioned home as a part of a direct sales company, which I think I 
good number of women try or kind of lean into. And for me, it was because I couldn't just not have an income. Like I needed to have that money to contribute to our family. So I transitioned home with that company and then quickly, I've always loved podcasts. And so those were sort of my lifeline, even to give me some of the courage to step away from a really solid career. I ended up transitioning that direct sales company, creating my own website that kind of went along with it. So I had a blog and then created a course. It was all in sort of the meal planning space. And that's how I really stepped into online business, which is not at all what I do now. <laughs> and as I was listening to podcasts, this was back kind of 2016 timeframe where podcasts were really starting to kind of pick up, you know, they were new, but people were really starting to guest on them. And so I started pitching myself for different visibility opportunities really to grow the meal planning business. And as I landed those opportunities, even some with our local news station, people kept asking, well, hey, Angie, how did you get that opportunity? And my answer was always, well, I just reached out and I asked. And I quickly learned that not everyone loves to do that the way that I do. I'm a super connector at heart, so I don't have a lot of the same sort of hangups that some people have with pitching because I really see it as me offering something that might be a value to someone else's audience. And so once I was able to recognize that I had this skill set that other people didn't, but that they needed, I really started to pivot my business into the pitching space. And I took on my own clients, just myself as a freelancer, pitching them initially for various visibility opportunities. I mean, there were speaking events, local media, podcasts. I did it all at first and then quickly started to niche down. So that's kind of my story in the beginning days. <laughs> that's awesome. I, I mean, so many things that resonate and I know it's going to resonate with my audience because it's something that we talk about a lot is, you know, doing the network marketing, been there, done that. I, yeah. I did too, <laughs> because I thought, you know, I Same. really wanted I really wanted to be at home with my kids. And I thought that was the way to do it. Like, that's what I saw. And I'm like, okay, th this is the option. And then I even, you know, I try, I always tell people, I'm like, I've done it all. So I can tell you like for certainty that like, this has been the thing that really actually will make you money. Cause I mean, I did network marketing. I was tutoring kids cause I'm a former teacher. So I was tutoring kids at the library after school. And I'm like, I can't continue this one. I have a family. And then, so then I was teaching kids English online where I was getting up at like 3am in the morning. I'm like, okay, this is not sustainable. So I mean, like I've done it all. And I can tell you that like, this is the thing that will actually bring an income into your family. Because like you said, a lot of people are, are not in a position where they can't just not work. They have to bring an income in. I was in that same position. And so I'm like, even if it's, you know, if maybe it's not my full salary, but even if it's something, you know, and then we're not paying for daycare, you know, how can I make that work? Yeah. Well, and candidly, I don't think I owned it at the time, but I was craving something more professionally, right? Mm -hmm. So I was in a job, I was well-respected. I was really good at what I did, but it wasn't fulfilling this sort of creative part of me. So I think at the time I kind of balanced my coming home with really wanting to be with the kids, which I did, but I look back on it and I wouldn't have been fully content if that was everything. Like I had in my bones, I needed to have something else that was really just for me. And so 
I can own that now. Right. right. No, <laughs> at I, the time it was more for the kids is what right. I was outwardly sharing. Right. And I can totally relate to that too, because, you know, I, I loved what I did as a teacher, which is why I think it was hard for me. But I, I knew like at this moment in my life, like I'm being called to be at home with my kids. And yeah. so when the business was doing really well, when the, like just the freelancing business too, because that's something that I have to, I feel like now that the, that the community is growing too, like I have to share with people, like the business was successful prior to me adding on like any sort of mentoring or coaching, like I was doing fine. And I got to a point where I'm like, I still felt like something was missing. And, and that was hard for me to come to terms with because I'm like, I did the thing I set out to do. Like I wanted to, you know, make money so I could be at home with my kids, but there's still a piece missing. And that was that teacher heart in me. And so now, you know, people will say, well, you, you spent all this money, you went to college, you got y'all, you know, you have these degrees and I'm like, well, I'm still using them. It's just doesn't, it doesn't look the way that maybe people thought it should look, you know, going to college and being a teacher in a classroom, you know, with four walls with mm-hmm. children around you, it just is, it's people around the country and it's adults and I'm still using all those things. And I think that that kind of prepared me to be the type of coach and mentor that I am because I do have that teaching background. I do understand what that looks like, but yeah, similar to you, it was like, I just wanted to be at home with my kids and then almost feeling guilty. Like, well, should I, am I being greedy? You know, like, you know, it's like, like as those new layers evolve and as your business grows to come to terms with all those different feelings that you never thought you would feel. Well, I think it's important to have women like you and I out in this space because funny enough, I was a teacher before I was in outside sales. All of my degrees are in biology. So like a master's degree. So I'm literally using none of what it looks like on paper, but I, I take that, but I was very analytical in my science background, same with my business today and very research oriented, but I think it's important to have women to look to and say, it's okay if on paper, it doesn't look like I'm using my degree and there are other ways for me to earn an income and be home with my family other than direct sales or getting up at 3 a.m. because you and I had to kind of figure it out as we went, but I had other people to look up to as well. So I just think it's important, the work that you're doing, because I, even now, when I have friends that I know are kind of stuck in a job and don't see a way out, I always recommend starting as a virtual assistant or a freelancer, because it is a legitimate way to earn good money. Mm-hmm. And the yeah. other thing too, um, that I think about, and we're kind of getting off on a little bit of a tangent here, but that's okay. <laughs> it's okay. Um, I think about too, you know, a lot of times we go into college, we're 17, 18 years old, and we're picking a career that at the time, like for where we are in our life probably makes a lot of sense. But then, you know, especially as women, as moms, like when that happens, everything, your whole world flips upside down, your perspective changes and everything like that. So it's okay as different seasons of your life happen to be okay that, you know, like in this season, like this job served me really well. And it really was a great decision, but in this next season, I need something that looks a little bit different and that's okay. It's okay to, you know, like it's, it's just crazy to me that like at 18, we're supposed to pick the job that we're supposed to have for the rest of our (laughs) life and and never want anything more different. (laughs) Yeah. I think that's shifting, which is, I mean, it's almost like we, I came up at a time to where, you know, you were picking what you wanted to do for the rest of your life, but I do see some of the shifts that have occurred over the last five years, really benefiting women and young women as they are coming up to, to know that a decision is never finite and that you can Mm -hmm. evolve over time and that you will. 
Yeah. I love that. We kind okay. of, we kind of went yeah. off on this too, because I think it's an important thing to say. And it, I, I get very passionate about talking about it too. Thanks. Cause I'm like, it's okay. You know, like, it's okay that I left teaching, like, you know, anyways. Sure. Um, okay. So I know you kind of talked a little bit about when you first got started, you were doing like a variety of, you know, pitching, what made you kind of land on podcasts as being like the main way that you were going to help your clients get more visibility? So one of it was just learning some of these different outlets that I was pitching to, especially online publications. That's a whole different beast than pitching podcast hosts and pitching local media. I mean, I had clients who were all over the U.S. and I was trying to connect people in their local town to them. And so for me, it was one, I enjoyed podcasts. I just have always been a fan of them. And I think the connections that you make as I mean, just the conversation you and I just had, that doesn't happen typically when you meet a local newscaster, you know, you don't have the time for that and you don't develop that depth of relationship. So I think one, it's just the benefit to the business owner of being on podcasts is so great, especially in some of those beginning stages of business, you know, like as you evolve, sure, it makes sense to get on TV. And even in the beginning stages, it could be a benefit, but I think podcasts fundamentally benefit business owners faster than some of the other forms of media. And then I really had to decide okay, if I'm going to grow this business, do I want to start developing relationships to people that are con- writers for Forbes, you know, because you really do have to develop relationships in the niche of the type of business that you're going to be pitching to, especially like in the PR space. And I didn't want to do that. People were recommending that I go to New York and like meet with you know, writers for these online publications. And I had zero interest in doing any of that. Whereas with podcast hosts, I love connecting. We can all do it virtually. We all appreciate the virtual nature of the work that we do. And so as a business owner, I got more life by connecting with other hosts than I would have in any of those other niches. So it was kind of like both ends of the spectrum. It benefited my clients to really niche down and and put them on podcasts, but then also it fulfilled me more to really Mm -hmm. stay in that space. Yeah. It's interesting that you're talking about, I was thinking about like when podcasts became a thing. I mean, cause I remember the first podcast that I listened to was, which I'm sure like a lot of people listen to was serial. Um, yeah. I went on a, I went on a road trip and I was like, I'm a true crime junkie through and through anyways. But, um, I don't even think I really realized at the time that it was a podcast. Like I, I don't, I don't even know what I thought of it as I just was like, someone recommended it to me and I'm like, okay, great. Um, and then I remember hearing podcast, like actually when I was thinking about starting a business, I don't even think when I was doing network marketing, I was, cause I don't really think it was like more like Periscope. I think what people were kind of doing, like they were doing the audio thing. So it was like, it was there. Um, but it wasn't like where you could go back and you could binge and you could listen. And now, like, I know people listening to this podcast probably have those podcasts that they go and they, they're every single week, they're listening to it. Like it's a reality, like a shit show, you know, waiting each week for that new it's, it's crazy how it's almost become that kind of feel for us. Um, like, you know, you're waiting every week for a new show and like, you don't have to listen through commercials or anything like that. And and you can listen to it in your car and your drive and everything. Well, and so I was an outside sales, so I had tons of drive time. So initially I was on, this is really going to age me, but like satellite radio, 
you know, mm-hmm. like Sirius or XM. So I was listening to shows that were on those types of platforms. And there were some that were more talk radio ish. So that was sort of initially my step into it. And then once I came home, I mean, I pretty, I was listening to podcasts. I remember actually there's a show, I think it's still in production today called the advanced selling podcast. And it's a really cool show. The hosts are amazing. And I would listen to that as I was driving. So yeah, I definitely was listening to podcasts from my phone in my car somehow right. <laughs> back in 2015. <laughs> I know. It's like, you think back and it's like, how did we, how did yeah. we even have the, the capabilities? Yeah. I, yeah, I think too, I, like I probably had in my, cause I did a little bit of drive time um, for one of my teaching jobs. It was like a 45 hour commute, but I think, I think I had like CDs with people like talking, like speaking on it and like sharing basically what a podcast was. Oh gosh. Um, to go back, but anyways, um, I, I love that, that you do this pitching now because and I know we were talking before we pressed record, I do get pitches for the podcast now. And the ones, number one, that I always open are the ones that come from Angie's team. Um, and the ones that I will usually book are, are your clients because, Angie has a really great way of making it. So obviously it's going to benefit both people. I mean, I'm more than happy to bring people on my podcast and highlight them. I am a huge fan of collaboration. And I think that's a really great way um, to just support other people, but um, you obviously want to make it so that it's benefiting to both sides of the party. Obviously, like I put a lot, I invest a lot into my podcast. And so I don't just want to bring someone on the podcast who just wants to further their mission and doesn't care about my audience or doesn't care about, you know, what I'm trying to do. I want it to be the best of both worlds. And Angie has a really great way of doing that. So, um, for those people who are listening, who maybe are kind of doing the virtual assistant thing, and they're kind of thinking, maybe what's that next step for me? Mm -hmm. Why is podcast pitching a really great service to add on for their clients? How can this really, you know, position them to their clients as someone who's a really great asset? Well, I mean, I would say, first of all, a lot of business owners already recognize the value in guesting on shows. So it's not a service that you would necessarily have to sell your client on the value of it. You know, I think sometimes when you start to evolve your packages and maybe you're adding on like a different social media platform, right? Well, you might need to share with them why that would be beneficial, And most people just inherently recognize the benefit of being on podcasts. So I will say that the benefit is often it can be a longer term benefit. So that's something that you do as a freelancer, virtual assistant, you do have to kind of temper the client's expectations. That said, I just got a message from one of our clients this morning. She recorded her first, she's a newer client, recorded an episode, I think it was either Thursday of last week or this week. And the host actually booked her to be her coach. So the episode hasn't even gone live and here, this relationship between the host and the guest has already resulted in collaboration. So there it's a multifaceted kind of benefit to business owners to be guests on podcasts. It's yes, you get in front of other people's audiences. And if you do it the right way, it really can drive people back to your own business, but you're also growing your network and 
the number of people that you can kind of call on and lean on when you need support, or maybe you're launching something new and you want someone maybe that could share it. So there's all of these inherent benefits that come from guesting and meeting people. I would say also as a virtual assistant, as a freelancer, podcast pitching lends itself really well to kind of a a systematic approach to work. I mean, ours has definitely evolved over time as we've added team to the business, but I mean, we go by a pretty stepwise approach and how we pitch our clients, how we follow up, when we follow up. So even though you're changing every single pitch that you send out, it is a very process oriented flow so that it's, it doesn't kind of like disrupt, you know, what you likely already have in place for the client. I like that. And that kind of leads me right into my next question because, um, you know, someone might be thinking, oh, this sounds interesting, but how do I know if I'm, if it's a good fit for me? So do you have any like things that would say, like, if you're this type of person, then podcast pitchy, like, I know you talked about like, kind of like systematized a super connector type thing, but if there's anything else that would make someone know that like podcast pitching is for them. Yeah. I mean, these are some fundamental things that we see in the people that we've hired internally to support our clients. I mean, one, you have to enjoy writing because at the end of the day, we are writing pitches. Yes, we use templates, but those get written also. And so I think inherently you have to be able to communicate very well because you're also sometimes pitching to really big outlets. So there needs to be a level of professionalism in your ability to write and communicate. Um, It's so funny. Like when I started, people would always talk about copy or copywriting, and I never knew what it meant. And now in the (laughs) online, you know what I mean? I always just kind of seen it to where, you know, trademarking and copywriting, but really if you're able to write copy and really like persuasive words, then that likely is going to be a good fit for you. The other piece of it, which I also don't think people recognize enough is there has to be some level of strategy and strategic thinking, and you have to really enjoy it because what we are doing more than anything, when you do it right, is you are taking what one person is an expert at and then angling it to fit an audience. And so where we see, and I know we talked about it, I see it too. I have the Go Pitch Yourself podcast, so I get pitched also, is people will just send out pitches that have like their top three topics that they like to talk about. Well, that doesn't really lend itself well to speak to my audience who are tuning in to learn how to pitch themselves if you're just talking about Facebook ads, right? So you have to be able to take what someone is an expert at and strategically massage it to fit different types of audiences. And if that is something, if if your listeners are thinking, I'm just more of like a to-do list, like knocking things off of a list, um, rather than really digging in and getting the strategy of it, it might not be a great fit. And I'll say this lastly, because this is something that I learned about myself as we scaled, um, is pitching is kind of like a sales activity, right? Because if you have a client and you say, okay, I'm going to pitch you to, you know, 15 shows a month. And then at the end of six months, no one has said yes, then you don't really get the credit that you pitched all of these shows because there wasn't an impact. 
So you have to be okay kind of being in a space. It's almost like Facebook ads too, right? Like you can run Facebook ads, but then if no one converts, you're still kind of held accountable to that, right? So there is this level of accountability on not just getting the work done, but the impact that the work has. Right. And you take, when you send your pitches and your team sends the pitches, it takes for me, it takes the guesswork because you come with like, this is exactly what they could talk on. It almost the like title is done for me too. And so it almost like, because you know, on the flip side of it too, like, you know, guesting is one thing, but the host, like it takes work to, to bring someone on the show. It takes research, research to have the right questions. You obviously want it to fit with your audience too. So when you can kind of take that guesswork out of it for the host, it almost makes it like an easier yes for them to say, because it's like, oh yeah, I could totally see how this is going to fit in. And it is taking that time to go through and being like, how can we really make it so that it's like I talked about in the beginning too, beneficial to both people where the person coming on is obviously going to get that visibility because um, they have a loyal audience and you're almost kind of vetted in a sense, like their people are, your listeners are going to buy into that guest more because you have kind of vetted them and said like, yes, this is someone to come on. Um, but also too, to the, to the audience too, to make it so that it's valuable and impactful for them. So they, they can take it and run um, and use it in their business too. Yeah. I mean, you make a really great point. One thing we always talk about is we need to do the legwork as the people that are sending the pitches. I don't ever want to host to read an email and have a question. And so our pitches tend to be longer than the average pitches that get sent out. But I know because now I am a host, I'm not going to read a pitch, have a question, and then respond back and ask. (laughs) I mean, sadly, I'm just not. And so I don't want the host to have a question. So we really kind of pepper our pitches and they've evolved over time to where they're still easily readable. And I think that's something too, you have to really look at sort of the visual appearance of a pitch and make sure that I can kind of flow down it quickly if needed. Um, But you never want anyone to really have a question at the end of it. The only thing you want that host to be able to do quickly is decide, is this a good fit? Yes or no. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And no uh, is okay. Like yeah. <laughs> no is an all right answer. <laughs> right. Very, very, very true. Um, so you talked about a couple, I, I like that you talked about that. Cause that was going to be my next question too, is like, are there any ways to, to make that pitch stand out? Um, and so you kind of talked about that. Is there anything else that you would add to that to make it so that if you are, you know, adding this to your service, if you're setting this out to potential hosts, is there anything else to make the pitch stand out like in the subject line or anything like that. Um, because I know like that that's the first thing that they're going to see to decide, should I open this or should I just leave it (laughs) or trash it? (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, I struggle with the subject line because I don't want any of what we send out to seem gimmicky or like marketing jargon. So our subject lines are probably pretty boring in a sense. It says podcast guest in parentheses. Again, I want the host to know exactly what they're opening. And then we'll actually put the title of the, you know, suggested episode in the subject line, because if that catches the host's attention, then likely it's a good fit for their audience. So I would say the subject line, we try to keep it pretty simple. One thing, the bulk of the pitch email really should be sharing of the topic that you are proposing so the host can get a really good idea of what that conversation might sound like. So that's where I would put most of your energy. 
And then we have kind of evolved when we first started. I remember one sheets weren't really a thing, you know, like podcast guest one sheets. And we really hesitated to start creating those and sending them on behalf of clients because I felt like there was a period of time where the pitches that I got would just be short little pitches and they would just attach the one sheet for the host to open and then do the work to decide Mm -hmm. if it would be a good fit. Um, But we have since evolved from that because I do believe the one sheet can help communicate the personality of the potential guest by using brand colors and some graphics. So I think if you can create a one sheet, I think that's great to have. It's not totally necessary, but link in the pitch email places that the hosts can go to kind of poke around and learn a little bit more. I know for me, when I get a pitch, if it's someone that's totally cold to me, I don't know them at all. Before I ever would say yes to them being a guest on my show, I want to hear them, right? Mm -hmm. I want to know, are they able to form intelligent sentences? Do they have a good audio setup? It doesn't need to be professional, but you know, would it be appealing for my listeners to hear them? So anytime that you can sort of embed links for some of those examples, I think it's really helpful. Again, so the host doesn't have to do the work to go search on Instagram for the name of the guest, just link to it. Right. I actually just got a pitch for, and it's such a good suggestion too, because I had never um, heard of this person, which I mean, it's not it's not anything on them. Um, but they, in the pitch, they, they included a little, um, video clip of them actually doing an interview. And they said, you know, to look, look at this, to see the kind of energy that I bring. And that like right away, I already felt like, Oh, okay. Like I can see how she interviews. I can see, you know, how she kind of handles the questions and how the conversation would flow. And to me, it was like, even though I didn't know this person, like I already got a sense for what it would sound like. I could almost envision it on my own podcast, if that makes sense. Totally. I mean, that's really what the, that's why we share the pitch topic and our format is we include three to five bullet points that we just call like potential talking points, but it's so the host can start to envision what would this interview be like? What would I be asking them? What would that back and forth sound like? And also them including that link with that language of here's a way that you can kind of preview my energy. It already proves to you that, oh, they really get what I do and they understand what I'm looking for and that bringing a guest onto my show, you know, it's a, it's, I don't want it. It's a privilege for the guests to be invited in front of your audience. And by them communicating that and sharing the link, it shows that they get that, you know? Right. And that they're like that too. Like I obviously want someone who's going to come on, you know, very similar to like how we're having this conversation right now, Angie, like I mean, clearly I have questions that, you know, I, I want to make sure that I touch on, but I also don't want it to feel like this scripted thing. I want my audience to feel like they're sitting down at a table with us, just like listening in with their notepad and being like, oh my gosh, I'm just getting so much from like overhearing this conversation. And that's how I want it to feel. So by her sending that to me, I could see that that's how that conversation would flow to it. Wouldn't be okay. So tell me about your business. And then very, you know, I don't, I don't want that. That's not how I want my podcast to sound. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. For sure. (laughs) Um, okay, great. So now I kind of want to, because I know that I mentioned that I kind of have two different kinds of listeners on um, in the audience here. Some people who would just be getting started and thinking like, oh, this sounds like a really great way to help to grow my business and something I could offer to my clients. But I also have people who are in that stage where they've been in business for a while and they really want to start to position themselves as an expert. And we've already talked about like why podcasting is a really great way to, to do that, to get in front of that audience too. Um, but 
what are some, what are some maybe strategies or things that freelancers who have kind of positioned themselves and they say like, okay, I want to stake my claim in this. I want to be the authority. Um, what should they look for as far as, you know, guesting on podcasts? Does it have to be like, if they're a Pinterest strategist or a web designer, like what types of podcasts should they look for so that they can, you know, reach a wider audience, maybe, you know, get a couple more clients, maybe get some of those like higher end clients too, as Mm -hmm. they're shifting into this role. Yeah. So I would say, first of all, the biggest challenge that I see when we work with service providers, because we have, it's a membership now called the Podwise Co-op, but inside of it is all the content from our signature program, Go Pitch Yourself. So it says like the strategy, how to pitch, follow up, everything. And over the years, we've definitely had a good number of service providers join that really like what you said to support their clients. But what I am always pushing them to do is, yes, support your clients and also pitch yourself so that you increase your own visibility. And the biggest hesitation, and I had it early on when, you know, I was in my business, I was pitching clients, getting acceptances, but I always questioned, well, am I expert enough to go and talk on these shows about what I do? And that's part of it. And then second of all is what would I even talk about? Mm -hmm. So I just want to caveat what we're going to get into with as a service provider, you are an expert in what you do. You are doing every single day. And you know, the people who are your clients, you know, far more about the services that you're doing for them than they do. That's why they hired you. So it's super important to, first of all, know that you're going to position yourself and you're going to pitch to be on podcasts where you are the expert relative to the audience, right? So if you're doing Pinterest strategy and Pinterest ads, yeah, maybe you're not an expert compared to Kate All, who has a long-term Pinterest agency, but to the average business owner that doesn't even have a Pinterest profile, you're definitely an expert. And those are the people that you should be looking to serve. So own the expertise. And then from a topic perspective, you really just need to think about, well, what are the questions that people come to you and ask you about? Like if you have a friend who is interested in getting on Pinterest and using Pinterest as a marketing platform, what are they asking you? So you kind of start with topics around what people tend to ask, and then they will evolve as you get interviewed, because that's the beauty of being a guest on podcast is you get insight into what people want to know about the work that you do. So even though maybe you start pitching and you only have a couple of topic ideas, as you have interviews, you'll be able to kind of dig in deeper to what you know that you didn't even realize people valued. You know, you take so much for granted in what you do and what you know, that having someone else kind of reflect it back to you can be really important. Um, so that's like the first caveat. And then you asked about the types of shows, right? Like, how do you find the shows? It's really understanding who is the person that you want to serve. So if you're looking and you're in the online space and you know, you want to serve online course creators. Okay. Awesome. Well, who else are they turning to, to get support in their business? Not who are they turning to for Pinterest? If you're Pinterest, you can tell I know nothing about Pinterest because I'm like, (laughs) if you are a Pinterest person, (laughs) but what are the complementary types of services or content that they are looking for 
to help them grow their business. And then those are the types of shows that you want to position yourself on. So if we take this Pinterest example, um, someone who might be interested in getting support in Pinterest is probably also interested in optimizing their website, right? So maybe you could find a podcast host who is talking about website development or who helps their own clients with websites, but they don't touch the Pinterest piece of it, right? Those people might also be interested in learning about how to optimize their course. So if there are podcasts that are speaking to people who are course creators, that could be a great place for you to pitch yourself to, to talk about how Pinterest can help you drive people to your website and opt into your email list and ultimately buy your course. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And then the other piece of it too, is like, um, you know, should you shy away from, from newer shows? Should you, I mean, I know that we, I'm sure that there's like a lot of, we have a handful of podcasts that were like, oh my gosh, like I've been listening to this since, you know, it started and I, it's grown and it has a really big audience. Like it would be a dream to be on that podcast because of course I'm going to, you know, be in so many people's earbuds. Um, is there, I know you, you've talked about the strategy. So is there a strategy piece of like doing some smaller shows, getting comfortable and then kind of working your way up to that? Yeah. I definitely think you should start on smaller shows for several reasons. The first is really to get a sense of what people are interested in hearing you talk about, right? So you can really kind of dial in your topics. You can also kind of get the nerves out a little bit. Um, We had a client a year and a half ago, a good friend of mine, and her messaging was so solid and she just had the most amazing topics. And I'm good friends with Sarah Dean. And so I foxered her and I was like, I have this new client. I think she'd be perfect. And the client and Sarah said, yes. And then the client was like, um, that's my first interview. I'm a little nervous to go on a show that's that big. And so I think it's really important just from a personal perspective and for you to feel comfortable is start with some of the smaller shows. Cause they're a little bit more forgiving. Right. And you can kind of work out the kinks. And then also like I'm all for dream big, you know, you belong at every table. You don't need, you know, to, to shy away from the big opportunities, but candidly, the chance of you getting on a really big show with zero interview experience is really small, unless you have some sort of relationship with the host or the producer. So, I mean, I think a gradual growth makes sense. And then once you've got a couple under your belt, then yeah, you can kind of start working the angle of some of the bigger, more popular shows. We balance it out for our clients. I mean, even clients who have their own very popular podcast, we do a nice mix of kind of you know, smaller shows, they've been around for a year to three years, moderate, and then some of the bigger ones. I love that. And then the other piece that I want to touch on too, because obviously if you're going on as a, as a service provider, as an expert in what you help your clients in, um, at the end of the podcast, you know, there's always the opportunity where the podcast hosts, um, hopefully if they're a good host is like, all right, now tell people, you know, where they can learn more about you and, and find out more about what you offer. Um, so what would you suggest for a service provider at that point of the interview? Um, do they have to have an opt-in? Um, what's a good kind of like call to action for them if they want people, if, if they're going on the shows to, you know, book more clients? This is such a great question. I so appreciate you asking. And I love that you see the difference between a service provider going on a show versus a course creator, Mm -hmm. right? Um, I mean, yeah, we could spend all day creating a perfect opt-in, but at the end of the day, the people that want to hire you to do the work 
are likely not the people that are going to opt in for your freebie. So for a service provider, drive them straight to your scheduling page or your services page, and then give them if they're not quite ready for that. So we like to offer kind of a, a tiered approach. Like how, like, did they fall in love with you and they know they want to hire you? Cool. Give them a way to connect with you directly there. And if not, give them maybe a social media place to follow you um, and say, you know, share this episode on Instagram and DM me, like let's connect or something like that. But we have a client now, she owns a bookkeeping agency. She's been a client for over two years because her podcast interviews are the biggest driver of people booking discovery calls and then hiring her company to do ongoing bookkeeping support. So it can be done. And it does get done. So you just have to make sure you're driving people to a place where they can connect with you. Perfect. I love that. Yeah. Well, then I'm glad that I, I asked that too, because I know like that's something you obviously want to want to think about. I mean, of course, it's great to go in and just say like, you know, I, I'm, I'm huge on that. I think that you have to, I don't want to say pay your dues, but in a sense, like you, you know, you have to give some things away for free in order for people yeah. to be like, oh, wow. She's like, if this is what she's giving away for free, like, I got to know what, she, what I, you know, if I pay for, for sure. her, um, I know that you're going to be thinking about like, I, you know, in the back of my mind too, I always think about that too. When I hear people, I'm like, Ooh, like, okay. I just learned so much. Like I got to get, you know, I've got to see what, what else they have to offer too. Um, but yeah, definitely making sure that it, it's, it benefits the audience and obviously blesses the audience and gives them a ton of great stuff that even if they never booked anything with you, like they walked away with something, but also to it, if they're at that point where they're like, wow, I learned so much. I have to find out more giving them that route to take next. Cause clearly you want them, you know, if you've already got them hooked, you've already got them listening to a 30, 40 minute interview with you. How can they, you know, come hang out with you even more? Yeah, for sure. I mean, the other thing, candidly, if you're really leaning into podcast guesting as a marketing strategy, I mean, I've been a guest at this point, I think on over 35 shows. So if people are intrigued by what they hear, but they don't necessarily want to hire me and maybe they're kind of like I am on social, not like a hundred percent active all the time, <laughs> you can literally plug my name into Apple podcasts and listen to 20 other interviews to get a good sense of who I am and to learn more from me. Right. So our clients that have been guests on a lot of shows, people do that all the time. And I, I just thought of that, but that could be a great call to action, you know? Oh, cool. Yeah. I didn't even, yeah. I didn't even think about that either. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Especially if you don't have your own show, but you have kind of this library of interviews. I mean, people do it, right? I've heard guests before and I'm like, oh my God, they're amazing. Let me see where else they've guested and listen to those. Mm -hmm. Why not tell people that? Ooh, okay. That's so good. I like that. I Angie. know we might just change our strategy, Aubrey. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> well, um, this has been so amazing, Angie. I know that you have um, so many amazing things to offer to people, not only just from your done for you um, that you, you know, help people get on shows, but also from your programs and everything. So I would love for you to take a little bit of time and share um, where people can learn more about you. I mean, clearly go, you know, go search. Um, Angie's got an amazing show, but also go listen to all the other podcast interviews that she's done too. But um, why don't you share where we can come learn more about you? Yeah. So the podcast is definitely the best place to find me. The go pitch yourself podcast. You can binge. We've been going at it for over two years now. So there's tons of episodes. Definitely give that a listen. We are in the middle of a rebrand. So I'm going to give you a website address and it will probably redirect you to someplace else. Um, but you can go to angie slash freelancer. 
and get information on what we offer. And we have a new membership. It's called the Podwise Co-op. The new company name actually is the Podwise Group. So that's a big uh-huh. Um, and it should be live by the time this episode goes live. But it really is, we have transitioned. We support people in pitching. We still have our one-to-one clients. But what we have seen is that podcast guesting is very much a gateway drug into podcast hosting. And so we are now supporting our people on both ends of the spectrum, both making sure that they are leveraging the power of guesting to grow their business, but then also for the ones who want to host, like how can we leverage this as a marketing strategy? So the podcast or the Podwise co-op, it's really a home base for business owners who are using the power of podcasts to grow their business and whatever, um, you know, medium that they see is a good fit. So that information will be on the angietrueblood.com slash freelancer. And I'm on Instagram at Angie underscore trueblood. So I would love to connect with any listeners there. I'm a big fan of the DMs, even if my grid looks old and boring. (laughs) I feel this. I feel the same way. I have like a, I mean, I have a love hate relationship with Instagram. I mean, I like, I I like connecting with people in the DMS. Like that is my place too. Yes. But (laughs) other things I'm like, I'm showing up for my podcast every week. Like that's where I like to hang out. So like, just come listen to me. (laughs) Well, and I, I mean, when I first started my podcast, I had a free Facebook group and I got to the point where I was like, I, I don't know how to segment the free content that I'm giving away. So we shut that down and that's where really my energy goes into my podcast and then being a guest on other people's. Mm -hmm. And I think that's okay for the, the size of the businesses that we run, right? Mm -hmm. I don't have a marketing team behind me. Right. Yeah. And it's all about, uh, that's, I I love that you said that too, because it's all about, you know, what you value too, and you know, where you want to spend your time. And also, you know, I know for me too, like, I'm sure at at any point you could grow a super huge business and company. And obviously I'm, I love impacting and helping, but I also at the core of why I do what I do, it's to spend time with my family. So if it's something that might take away from, from that time with my family, it kind of has to go through that meter of like, is this important right now in the life, you know, we're on at right now too. And sometimes it's no, it's not. (laughs) And that's okay. It's a constant struggle, (laughs) right? Well, thank you so much, Angie. I know that my audience is going to love this conversation I have um, too. And I know they're going to want to come connect with you as well. So thank you again for all that you've shared. And I can't wait for my audience to hear this. Of course. I can't wait to share you with my people too. So I know they're going to appreciate this conversation. Thank you for choosing to spend some time with me today. I appreciate you so much. If you haven't yet, I would love it if you would leave me a review on iTunes and share this episode in your Instagram stories and tag me. By sharing and reviewing, you can help spread the message so we can reach more entrepreneurs who are ready to scale their business to new heights. I will see you in the next episode.